0: We are with Yashmita Bana. She is CEO of Nika Technology Group, uh, a business that's grown from strength to strength and uh, has great dreams of becoming a listed business. Uh, but, like many businesses in their growth period, are experiencing very, very common issues around growth. And this has been a theme, actually, it's, I'm very interested in this discussion because this has been a theme quite, uh, for, for me over the last couple of weeks where a lot of businesses that I'm seeing right now are in this, in this phase and um, so I just want to start off by saying to you that it's, it's normal so don't uh, don't <laughs> feel like uh, that, that God is picking on you <laughs> Let's just talk, so we've spoken about the structure, we've spoken about your structure, we've spoken about some of your tensions let's now talk about um, the margins in the business. Have the margins remained quite s- stable as you've grown or are the margins declining or inclining? We're,
1: so, You're
0: at a, at a, let's call it at a GP level and an NP level.
1: So, the margins are actually inclining yes. uh, simply because the back office staff we are rationalizing across the projects. Right. Now. So, that has worked very well. So the, while the GP is at 35%, our NP is kind of like 25 to 28% okay. at the moment. Um, so, that's working very well because they are providing support to the projects on the ground.
0: Okay. okay. The next issue is around, now you speak about going from 45 to 200 staff, a big issue in scale is finding the talent in South Africa, finding the skills. Is that an issue for you in your industry?
1: So whereas previously I would just go by referrals from other companies, HR has made a huge impact in my life to be honest because she's been able to source some really talented people for me and she's a really uh, important person in my life at the moment because she has got A network where she's been able to source this talent and I think there's a misconception about there not being sufficient talent in South Africa because I'm finding the right people and maybe I'm just attracting those people because I know they're out there.
0: The the client base now, I'm I'm going through all my blocks in the head now we've got the the staff now, your client base, um, you talk about 200 million uh, easy to get In other words, is the demand knocking at your door or is there at some point where that word of mouth needs to translate into sales and marketing?
1: I think we've been very fortunate because we have clients now knocking at our door and it may have something to do with how we deliver because the word of mouth has helped us. Incredibly, I I was saying to somebody the other day that we did CIO drops where we created these little packages and we dropped them off at CIO offices and it created quite an impact. We asked them what the elephant in their room was Mm. and out of that we got three big clients. So Uh, they
0: are marketing?
1: Yes, in a quirky way. (laughs) Yes, Well, that's great. But but word of mouth has really been our biggest um, kind of growth enabler in the last six months, I would say.
0: Let's now talk about the, um, the, the brand, the actual brand itself. Um, emphasis on the brand and the brand value and the, the USP around that ba- brand or just... So let me give you a cynical um, comment. Are you, this is a question, not a comment, a question. Are you a labour broker? No. By a different name? Or is there a brand they're delivering a a value proposition?
1: So there's a brand there. So while we had started off as a consulting company 10 years ago, you'll notice we've changed our name from Nika Consulting. That's why I kept looking down. (laughs) (laughs) To the Nika Technology Group. And what we've done is we've completely revolutionized what uh, what we do now. So we are kind of enabling the entire data value chain for a client. From the way we store data, we've imported a a product called Rubrics. We Mm. store in backup data. We, tra- we design networks that take them uh, that transport this data. We have information security as um, as a service offering, which secures your data. We integrate it, and we have BI tools that analyze it. So we're giving you the full end-to-end um, value chain on how to manage data, and that's what we've become.
0: And percentage of of your staff that are at client, and percentage of staff that are actually at your premises.
1: I only have seven staff at. Head office and the, balance, and the are balance are all client based. And it's all a on
0: projects, in others with a terminal date. Um,
1: yes, yes. But um, as soon, in fact, it's, there are so much in demand that as soon as a project gets done, we're onto another project. Financial services has been a big, uh, big one for us where we just can't seem to keep up with them.
0: Okay, let's come back to you before we end this, um, this particular slot now. In terms of you, your evolution, as a, you speak about as a leader, you spoke about power in, in, your, in the insert there, that you don't want to give away too much power. <laughs> Just elaborate.
1: I think I still have some residual fear uh-huh. uh, and maybe a little bit of still some control issues inside of me. It's something that I've tried to deal with over this last year, but I think I feel very close to my business. um, You know, spending 10 years in and seeing it fail three times and then bringing it back up again, um, I'm very reluctant to just hand all of it over to somebody.
0: What are you doing differently this time to the last few times that you failed?
1: I'm trusting my people more. Mm -hmm. And uh, while, of course, they do mess up, I'm allowing the mess-ups, mm-hmm. whereas before would be quite intolerable of the mess-up. So the uh, trust has been a big thing for me in my life.
0: And can any one project sink you?
1: Not at the moment, no.
0: Okay, yeah. so, so your projects are... So if you, completely, if you lose any one client, one big client, you'd survive?
1: i would easily survived now. Easily survived.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, on that note, let's, uh, let's go to a break. And when we're back, uh, I'll give some of my thoughts and comments uh, about uh, this particular issue that many entrepreneurs in the scale-up phase uh, tend to deal, have to deal with. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the what was a panel and now just me uh, on the big small business show, the others just left me, it must be my body odour but somebody who hasn't left me here uh, is Yashmita Bana. she is CEO of, of Nika Technology Group and the reason why I keep looking down to read it is because I knew, knew uh, Yeshmita when she was running uh, Nika Consulting and uh, now she's got a big vision and the business is doing phenomenally well. Now the issue that we, we're talking about now is something that as I said before that many growth entrepreneurs face, they're in this phase of growth and they're in this like, what, this, like speed wobble that's, that's going on. You've gone through as an entrepreneur, you've gone through what I, I call the um, uh, competency crisis which happens somewhere in the middle, okay, where you go can I, can't I do it? Uh, and now, you, now you're at a different phase, is, is that how do I get to the next level? And it's sort of like a person stepping off one step on the other where you're standing on one foot, you're not as stable as if you're on two feet, your other foot's about to touch and you, re- and you want to keep stable to make sure that. and then you have to push up to get the other foot and lift the other foot onto the next step and it's a very vulnerable stage for a business and a very vulnerable stage for an entrepreneur. So a couple of things that I want to, st- let's start off with the, the good stuff here. The question around whether if you're growing and and the margins were getting better was a very important question and if, if the, the, uh, what you're saying is right then you, your economies of scale are working because very often what happens is people think that economies of scale is a certainty in growth and very often what happens is you have to layer a business with management and that management comes at a, at a cost and that actually doesn't have any economies of scale it's actually is the opposite it costs to scale the business and margins decline so that's a great thing i was very when we looked at the structure of the business in terms of your proposal person your finance person your hr your projects and then i put a question where's where's marketing and sales uh, but i see you sort of doing marketing but i put a tick with a cross through it you sort of doing it and i think what's very important if you're going to scale is that there's a that you have to start thinking of that as a function. You might not necessarily have it as a a resource right now and you might probably be thinking about it with your team but if you're going to be a 200 million Rand business you're going to probably have 20 or 30 million Rand chunky pieces of business in there and you're going to lose that. And if you've got a 20-30 million Rand piece of business and you lose it and you've got an overhead associated with it, you're going to burn cash until you fill it. So you want to build a marketing and sales competency in the business. The good times are not going to last forever, at some point you need to feed the machine. Yeah. So there's more f- there's more yeah. food right now than you can consume but as you go to become a di- yeah. dinosaur only for size, not for, for, for anything else, <laughs> then, then you're going to need far more fuel okay. to, to fuel the, the machine, so build that competency okay. now. <coughs> um, cash flow for me was a, was a concern and cash flow is um, something I think at this stage of the business should be sorted. So that to me is a concern is that where I would focus as, as leader of the business is, is trying to understand why that is. And you probably find that that nice person that you are, is the same person who is too afraid to ask for that money yeah. in, right? So for me that yeah. means that you have to go and get, like you had the HR person, yeah. you have to go and get that person who asks for the money. Yeah. Do not be afraid to ask for your money, you've worked for it, you deserve it, and you want that b- b- money to run, but concurrently, You have to go to the banks now and go and get an OD facility. Based on your demand, based on your growth, based on all that, this is the time to go and get that OD facility. Um, Let's talk about the concept of delegation and um, abdication. So, delegation um, is when you hand over something to somebody and that person is well informed as to what they have to do. They understand the targets, they understand the operation or what they've been trained. They're the right person, they've been trained for the right thing and you hand it over in a couple of phases. So if this is what you do and then you show them and then you watch them and then you leave them and then it comes to the reporting and the controls that you yeah. need to get there. Yeah. Now a big part of your power issue is might be that you're not, you, you have to get used to a th- like a third hand yeah. proxy for control which is a report. Yeah. Okay. And and that's coming back, and now you have to read the reports and make decisions, yeah. right? And so you've got to go through that that journey. Okay. But don't, and I don't think you are the mistake that many entrepreneurs make in this space is they abdicate. They yeah. go, okay, you do that, and they don't give them what to yeah. do, and then the the person messes up, and they go, yeah. okay, we've got an issue. Okay. Um, to me, at this point now, I would I would get a management committee in place. Okay. Okay. So whether it's an ex-co or a manco, whatever you want to call it, co, you put a whole bunch of people with these titles there and you meet, have to meet regularly yeah. in a very formal way. With, with, uh, and my suggestion and what is that you meet twice a month, yeah. one uh, 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 to me a full day where you go through a pack which they have to produce and then a half day where they go through their, their tasks yeah. and as a group. So you meet twice a month as a, as a man-co. Yes. Yeah. And it 's very important to start creating that discipline and that structure that rhythm in the business yeah. because ry- rhythm is a great indicator of health of the business mm. and your role now as CEO is to be the, mm. the conductor mm. and to to make sure everyone's at the right rhythm mm. and everyone's playing together that 's your role yeah. whereas opposed to becoming the player yeah. of, of the, the the you're the conductor yeah. and you have to control the rhythm. And by having a rhythmic management committee um, yeah. session at least twice a month, yeah. in my opinion, uh, is, is very important. Um, the nice person leader story also I mean I personally went through it where all the people who are originally there so it's not like it used to be, yeah. they want kumbaya my friend, they want all the attention, yes. it, can, it, it cannot be, do not succumb to that pressure, yeah. do not succumb to that emotional blackmail, mm. you cannot be the way you are otherwise you won't be here. Yeah. They have to get used to it, they have to grow with the business because I'm sure they're enjoying the more security, they're enjoying better salaries, they're yes, enjoying that. better challenges Mm. What comes with that is less kumbaya my friend, yeah. okay? and a, a far more formal thing. You've got to get over it first. Yeah. Okay? You've got to get over it, and I know mm. how you feel because I went through exactly the same yeah. journey as well. And the last thing that I want to say here is around um, your HR. Now I think HR is a very important point, but a, a very important person to have. However there's two things that I would say around that. Number one, you need to be the owner of culture. Mm. You cannot delegate or abdicate culture to anyone else. Mm. Culture needs to come from you, Okay, yeah. no one else. Yeshemita, you are the culture, you create the culture. Mm. It needs to emanate from you, that's number one. And number two, the concept of of HR, the danger with HR is that managers then tend to deflect everything to HR and say, you deal with it, get rid of that person for Mm. me, or find that. And they don't become leaders, they become managers. Mm. HR, you need to make sure that your managers become manager leaders, otherwise HR becomes Mm. de facto the people who have all the relationships and do all that stuff and they are just managing Mm. data and that you cannot grow a big business of 200 people with managers, you need leaders. And we have run out of time, I could speak a whole day on this, it's a very important topic for South Africa to hear. I am so proud of what you have done, I've I've watched your journey and it's been a phenomenal journey and I looked at that that turnover and the number of employees and boy am I proud.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Please stay tuned to find out what's coming up after the break.
2: And I remember that I used to run away from the sheriff. So instead of going to my house, I would probably drive around 10 times, make sure that there's no car following me, and quickly into the driveway and close all the doors. Mm
0: Welcome back uh, and this is the Psyche of Success slot. Last week we uh, introduced you to Mate Moshue from Moshue Shwe Properties. She has an incredible story, quite a cliched story as an entrepreneur. Last week we, we heard her story, how she started off, she worked as a receptionist, uh, then she got an opportunity to do her first uh, deal in a township, saw a market and then eventually plucked up the courage to start her own business. Started very slow and then slowly, slowly she started to get subtraction. She had one success after the next, after the next, and then hubris set in. Bigger car, fancy clothes, celebrity in the newspaper, TV, radio, everything, and didn't focus on the business. And the business went into decline. Let's pick it up from there. Welcome back.
2: Thank you, yeah. Alan.
0: Okay. Right, so what happened? So now you didn't focus on the business, you've got the fancy car which is costing lots of money, you you know, you're the talk of the town.
2: And the lifestyle also. And the
0: lifestyle.
2: And the boyfriend also. And the boyfriend.
0: Hmm. Boyfriend, just one, huh? Just one. <laughs> okay. Who actually uh, okay.
2: helped me to be broke. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. So then what? What happened? How do you get back on your feet? Well, tell us about how you, how did it feel when you lost all that? Didn't you, didn't you feel, Oh, why did I do that? Because you must have heard the stories of other people doing that.
2: At first I thought it was a dream, mm-hmm. and I will look at my bank statement and look at them over and over again. I said, but I had this much. What happened? Where did it all go wrong? And I, I was depressed, Alan. Um, I actually um, I depended on medication to, to, to sustain me because I couldn't face the embarrassment. I couldn't come to terms that at some point I was a millionaire and suddenly I have nothing. The car that I had was repossessed. And I remember that I used to run away from the sheriff So instead of going to my house, I would probably drive around 10 times, make sure that there's no car following me, and quickly into the driveway and close all the doors. And it was really, really tough, you know? And I would look at people who started after me, and where were they, and realizing that I could have been far better than them. Then I had to start literally from zero. And the worst part was that when I actually went into the deadline, I had a lot of investors who believed in me, who said that uh, if you believe that property is worth it, we'll put money into it. Just go and do a good deal. Because that's how people know me. Mm. You know, Money follow good deals. Mm. And I could do good deals. So I couldn't go back to them. I didn't know what to say, that ah, I don't have your money. Mm. Something happened. They don't understand. You know, And now they actually want that firstly pulling out. Mm -hmm. and they want their money back and they want it now. They want it now.
0: How do you you deal with that?
2: (sighs) That was stressful. So I actually have to think of a way first is to build up the cash flow. Number one. Number two, find a way to be able to repay all the debts that I have and to rebuild the business from scratch. But this time make sure that I'm making wise decisions, I've learned my lessons, I'm not young anymore and I've missed great opportunities. Some of those investors were good investors who probably will never, hopefully with time they will regain their trust and do business with me again. So I realized that what are the gaps in the township market because it's a market that I understood very well. I realized there's a new trend that's coming in which is the room of um, i think it's called rentals but it's little rooms so i actually said that i owned one stand which i didn't sell and it was not a good location so i realized that if i can just get in matching a property investor sell them a good deal a stand with the building package manage it for them and actually teach them how to manage it afterwards if they don't want me to do it for them. So from there was just a replication of the same thing over and over and over again. So that helped me to build up the cash flow. Then I realized that I have to be smart with my money, especially with my investment. So I started looking out, investing abroad. So my first deal that I did abroad was in Dubai. And I bought a unit which was for rental, solely for rental. I then actually the guy who has actually helped me to say, said that you are in South Africa, we are looking for a partner in South Africa, would you be interested? And I said, of course, I mean, that's what I do for a living. I actually, I sell property, I'm also an investor. That's how I manage now to tap into the international markets.
0: And then you, and then you started building your business? I started store. building the and business. And have you paid all your, your debtors? Your cri- I did. You paid them all I back? Did.
2: What I do is that I actually work out all the deals how many tests do I have to do to squash all the debts? So each and every day that I did, it was specifically for a certain investor or for a certain debt that I need to close up. So that's how I worked it
3: out.
0: I want to ask you a question. We've got very little time left here. Now there's somebody watching who's been through the story in some way or another. Okay. And, and what I really appreciate about is that the people are telling the story, it's an important story it's happening out there all the time. But if there was somebody in that position right now who was in that fancy car, fancy clothes um, moment of their journey where they think they, they thought they had arrived what advice would you give to them?
2: I would say to them build up the cash flow. Very important, build up the cash flow. There's no rush into buying a big car. That will come with time. You need to have a healthy financial um, cash flow. It's very important. Secondly, you need to build a brand. You need to dis- diversify your, your portfolio. At least you need about seven income streams. So that if one is not is lacking up, you have others to back you up. So, and also, you need to bring something unique to the market because everybody is doing probably the same thing. You have to find your niche, something that will be unique for you, that will attract more business, more business associates, and you can't compromise your brand. You must have your values. You need to know what you stand for. So your vision, your mission, and your goals must be aligned with what you're doing, practically, if I may put it that way.
0: What a great place to end, and uh, I just want to commend you on your bravery for telling your story and, and we're very proud of uh, what you've achieved. I'm very sad to, sa- to hear that your downfall but I'm so proud about the fact that you actually were able to pick mm-hmm. yourself up because m- most people don't have the strength to do that yeah. or the will to do that mm-hmm. and um, you certainly are an inspiration to entrepreneurs out there and particularly the ones that have um, been there and uh, many of us have been there. Mm-hmm. Thank you for being on the show.
2: Thank you. Thank
0: you so much. Do stay tuned for what's coming up next. Let's uh, talk about
3: this thing called the LinkedIn police. What is that? Okay, there's a couple of um, offences that will get you locked up in LinkedIn jail.
0: to the third part of our expert slot with Dr. Nick Erbil and we have been talking about LinkedIn. If you haven't uh, been watching uh, up until now for the last two series please go onto YouTube or onto the Business Day TV website and look at the past two uh, series uh, on LinkedIn. In series one we spoke about what is this thing called LinkedIn. We know it's the biggest B2B business to business uh, Uh, social media platform in the world. We also then moved on in week two to be talking about how do we set ourselves up uh, in terms of our profile, what is a good profile, what is a bad profile, and some of the things I remember from last week were to look like this in your picture, black and white, and to show your jawline, and you've got a squint that's a little bit like, something like this but not like that. Okay, but today we are talking about actually using it, getting those clients. So welcome back Dr. Nick Erbel. Dr. Nick Erbel of course is CEO of Reciprocation Marketing Academy and uh, somebody who actually used LinkedIn to connect with me many moons ago. That's right. Right. So let's talk about how do we take that connection and convert it into
3: sales. Because that's what we want to do, right? Of course. So what you have to do, first of all you have to get clarity about who it is that you're looking for on LinkedIn. Who's your ideal client? Secondly, you have to get the Sales Navigator which is part of the premium package on LinkedIn. It's about 800-900 bucks a month and it gives you the ability to search granular to do granular searches uh, on your ideal client. So for example I recently did a search on chief marketing officers in the ICT industry in the US for companies over 1,000 employees. I got 727 results LinkedIn is telling me who they are, where they work, how many shared connections between them and me, when last they've been active on LinkedIn, have they posted, when and who has started a new job in the last 90 days. So this is vital intel because obviously somebody that starts a new job is a lot more open to new ideas. Okay, so,
0: so now I, I, I've used the Sales Navigator and I'm assuming there are other parts to the, the premium. So let, let, let's just cover that because there's the let's call it the freemium model which is quite powerful in of itself. And then there you can buy the, the, the premium model. So this 800 to 900 Rand, is that where it
3: ends? Are there different levels? Or? Yeah, there's different levels. It starts at $29 a month, and it, then it goes up to 900 Rand a month for the sales navigator. Basically what premium gives you, it gives you the ability to see everybody who has viewed your profile in the ni- last 90 days, which is very important. Because on LinkedIn, people view you for business reasons. So once I've viewed you, it's a great door opener to start a communication. Secondly, it gives you the ability to send in-mails to people that are not connected to you. For example, I recently sent an in-mail to the global chairman of PwC and I got a response. I won't tell you what I said. No, I can tell you. I invited him for an interview. I got a response. So this is a, a really powerful ability of the premium package on LinkedIn.
0: So, so, we've spoken about what you should do. Give me some of the definite no-no's, what you should never do on LinkedIn.
3: You should never spam people on LinkedIn. You should consider LinkedIn as a relationship building platform. So anything that you wouldn't do in building a relationship face-to-face, you should not do on LinkedIn. What you must do very importantly, you have to be active, you have to be proactive. You cannot just put up your profile, start connecting, and then sit back. You have to post regularly, at least daily. And you have to post these short posts as a new form of posting, which is called brodery not poetry, brotree, which is storytelling. And it's become a science and an art on LinkedIn. It's very, very exciting. An example. Give me an example. For example, last week I was fired, and um these are the reasons, in fact there was a, a post yesterday by somebody that got fired by, the, uh, by a business association and he went into the story but it was done in a valuable way so the lesson that he has learned what do not engage with people that don't match your values okay. it's very engaging, it's got a lot of interaction, a lot of likes, comments and it goes a long way to positioning you as a thought leader and that's what you want to do on LinkedIn. Is, there, is there the
0: the Concept of trolling that happens on LinkedIn, like it happens on other social media.
3: LinkedIn but is a lot safer, so you don't really get a lot of trolls. You don't get people talking about sex, religion, or politics, hardly ever, and you do not get too many people t- t- spamming you com- compared to Facebook, for example.
0: And the, 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 now let's talk. Go back to the getting the, the meeting. So you send the invitation and it's simply just communicating via the, the internal messaging uh, uh, service within LinkedIn, within LinkedIn and then you then try and then you ask for the meeting you say should we set up a meeting it's so, like as simple as that
3: so there's a number of scenarios first it gives you the ability to reach out and find your previous past clients which if you had a good relationship with past clients, obviously they'll be open to a meeting. Secondly, the first thing people do, they look at your profile. You must have a good profile that clearly spells out your value proposition. Secondly, they look at the number of connections. If you have somebody like you, 10,000 connections, it's a lot of value. Yes, people obviously want to talk to you. Thirdly, you have to proposition, message them in such a way that they perceive the value. So not to say, I want to talk about my product, but rather say, I want to learn more about your business. Ideally, do what you do, interview people. Let's uh,
0: talk about this thing called the LinkedIn police. What is that?
3: Okay, there's a couple of um, offenses that will get you locked up in LinkedIn jail. And that is, for example, if you go over a certain limit, if you send more than 200 connection requests or if you send more than a hundred in-mail messages a day, or if you use any of the automation tools that are illegal, LinkedIn can lock you up. Okay, and, and in terms of
0: just coming about content, because you spoke about using content there, so first of all, let's just talk about content uh, marketing on LinkedIn. Is it different to using it in any other
3: environment? it's very different. First of all it has to be business related. Secondly what people really gravitate towards are these short posts that are illustrated by either a picture or video and that position you again as a thought leader where you share your insights and it's very simple. I mean if you just look back at your experience as a professional and start jotting down all the insights, all the tips and tricks that you've gathered over the years share them one by one and ideally illustrate them by a story. What happened to you Last year, when you spoke to a client and the client did buy from you, what was that secret um, uh, instrument or, or uh, that you applied? That is what people are looking for. Dr. Nick, well, it's
0: been an absolute pleasure having you in studio with us uh, over the last three weeks. Um, we've learned uh, about what is this thing called LinkedIn, and I think most people watching the show understand it to some degree, but not to the degree we understand it now. Second of all, what to do and not to do in terms of setting up your profile. Mm -hmm. And thirdly, what to do and what not to do in terms of how you communicate with potential clients and how to actually convert that into meetings and Mm -hmm. therefore hopefully into sales. Thank you, Dr. Nick It's been an absolute pleasure. Mm -hmm. Well, that's it uh, for the expert slot. Do stay tuned for my reflections on the entrepreneurial journey. You've often heard entrepreneurs saying that if I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't have started. And that brings me to today's reflection which I'm titling, think smart, keep stupid. Think smart, keep stupid. So four points to think about as an entrepreneur who is perhaps uh, in that phase where they are researching whether or not to get into a business. My point number one is there is always more information. And what I mean by there is always more information is that very often entrepreneurs find themselves in this research phase where they're researching and researching and researching and researching and then never feeling that they've quite got all the information and therefore do not start. Too many entrepreneurs fall into or non-entrepreneurs fall into that category where they are just in this research mode and never ever push the button, the start button to start because they feel that they, they need to complete some sort of equation which is uncompletable or incompletable. My second point is also called: there is also there is always more information. Point number one: there is always more information. Point number two: there is there is always more information. And what I mean by that is, once you've started, once you've started the journey, you've pushed the start button, you've you know started in your mom's home or you started in the cliched garage or you started by renting your first premises, employing your first person then the the learning has to begin there and then the research has to continue because many people that then start businesses make the fatal mistake of stopping the research once they've started the business. It's almost like when you finish your matric or you finish your degree that you think that learning ends there. Research And learning never ends for the successful entrepreneur. Point number three is the more information, the more risk averse that I become. And this comes back to the first point when I'm in the early stage of researching my business. The more I know, the more I realize what can go wrong. And so I become more and more timid and more and more afraid to start my business. I'm saying to those people who have this inherent need to know everything. You are actually doing yourself a disservice if you are going to be a successful entrepreneur because you just won't start because you will see everything that can go wrong. My final point is that the the more information you have, the better your decisions will be. The more information you have, the better your decisions will be. And very much like my first two points, once you've started your business, you need to be seeking that information and learning from the past mistakes, from the decisions you made in the past, to ensure that you're making better and better decisions moving into the future. So that's it for my reflections for today. I hope you enjoyed today's show and enjoyed the content. I certainly did. Remember, if you think it, write it down and make it a reality.
2: Big Small Business Show is brought to you by Chartered Accountants of South Africa. Transform the future of your business. Partner with the CASA today.
3: And the courage to grow is business. MTN Business. A new world of business.